Technology has traditionally been a male-dominated space, but more and more women are bringing great value to the blockchain world. Yay, equality! And today, we're celebrating the female of the species by introducing you to three individuals born with two X chromosomes. Each of them are building out cool projects that we think you'll enjoy. And to up the ante, each of these interviews is conducted by one of our resident crypto chicks, Rachel Wolfson and Sarah Austin. There's only two genders, but today we're going to get out of the way and allow the smarter and better looking gender to take over. It's a celebration of female founders on episode number 222 two of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And it's the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and like the crypto serious. I'm Joel Calm, and uh, who are you? Uh, I'm Travis. <laughs> You're no fun. That's what... <laughs> uh, this was going to be our alter egos, you know. Oh, okay, great. Well, my voice is a little hoarse. I've been I've been, I've been coughing, so I was thinking, like, yeah, I don't I don't think I have a high pitched voice in me right now. Actually, that's okay. I know some women with some with deep voices. Yeah, this is me, Judy. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Hey, honey, come over here. <laughs> you know, you, you smoke a lot of cigarettes and you end up being one of those old ladies in, you know, yeah. the uh, the Vegas casino wanting uh, to drop nickels into the slot machine. Hey, sweetie, I'm going to win. Kiss my grits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, welcome. We're glad that you guys are here. This is as we're getting ready to round out the year. We've got some great content that's been submitted by um, Rachel and Sarah, and we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to hear that. And we also want to make sure that you have an opportunity to check out our sponsor, Warbly. We like Warbly, don't we, Trav? Warbly is pretty sweet. Warbly is a, an infrastructure for building efficient, honest, and these accessible financial services. So it's basically the way they're kind of doing is creating their own sort of blockchainification of like Wall Street, but you can like um, you know, imagine if you're, you know, merging insurance, personal banking, e-commerce. So their development partners, along with Warbly, are are redefining these industries from the bottom up. So, you know, it's really interesting what they're doing. They're doing it in a, in a unique way. And so they're trying to take big business and make it more accountable. Right. Because a lot of times big business is not held accountable. And so they want to enable more reliable, better, cheaper solutions and uh, Warbly's technology, thanks to them, the world may soon be a more fairer place, Mr. Jolcom. And you can check like them out at Warbly, W-O-R-B-L-I dot I-O. I-O, I-O, and there, there you go. Go to Blockchains Warbly. Blockchains only, compliant out. and regulated financial ecosystem. <laughs> they're they're going to love that read. Thanks, Warbly. We appreciate you. And we appreciate you, our listeners. We've got some great content coming your way. And we're going to stop babbling because we are not female. They are. And we're going to let them tell you about it. My name is Carrie Eldridge. I'm the founder and CEO of ATO Gallery, uh, which is the, the gallery division of ATO Platform. We're building, or actually I'd rather say built, 
uh, essentially what we refer to as a stock market for artists. It's about uh, commodifying artists using blockchain as a value, uh, as the actual underlying infrastructure to bring transparency, um, proof of provenance and authenticity, as well as a new source of liquidity for artists and collectors to all commune in. Okay. And what is the role that blockchain technology is playing in all of this? So with blockchain technology, it provides a couple of things that are not really possible with having a database or having cloud, you know, for storage. Blockchain technology uh, allows for, you know, everyone uses the word trustless system. The point is, is that when someone from our platform, as well as the community and the nodes, approve of data, it's not just one person placing data or one person accessing data. There's transparency of when that data is saved. And when it's saved, it's saved on multiple nodes. So potentially thousands or even hundreds of thousands. And if you can get to the point of millions of people agreeing upon information that is being saved and reserved. And once it's saved, it's the whole quote unquote immutable part is that it can't be just easily and quickly changed. That is what one of the greatest factors that that blockchain actually really provides is that you don't just have one set of eyes on something you have a number of eyes on something that are approved and we can all agree on it so that uh and then another benefit is that um you don't have to depend on the company funding that said data or protecting that database or that cloud and paying a bill if they don't pay the bill what happens to the data what happens to the information you know how uh, secure is it? You know, is it, can someone go in and change uh, information on an artist, you know, for us? So we didn't want to have that even as, as questions. So um, by using the blockchain, everything is really immutable. And that if we say this particular artist was born at this time, this is what their art has sold for, this is the delta of the art, this is how long it takes for art to sell for them, and just a number of variables, a litany of variables that we're using to analyze the artist, once that work is out there and it's available, it's available. You know, just like, you know, and it's necessary for such a, such a you know, a young, you know, we're at the genesis of this market in so many ways. Um, and it's necessary to, I guess, accelerate that level of trust. You know, whether if you look at the stock market, we have decades and decades of data. We have volumes of data. We, you can go to a library and look up what was Microsoft stock trading at in the 80s. You know, there's multiple points of access to verify data. That's what's necessary in, in a market like this for blockchain in general is that what you're reading, is it true? And how many people can we count on to validate that? And do I really trust it? You know, right. it, it's so crucial. Right. So you're just taking, I mean, are you taking data that you've already had and putting that data on the blockchain? Or is all of this new where you're collecting data now and then putting it onto a, a ledger? Good question. So we've been collecting, so we have our own artists. We have about 30 artists right now that we're managing and we have like 48 that have requested access and are on a wait list. And that's without any marketing at all, really. So we're expecting, uh, our investors believe that we'll be, you know, reach, be getting reached out to by thousands of artists. So we have actually to design an entire portal and protocol for that. But for the current data amount of our artists, we've collected on our own from our artists. So their, from their education, all of their collectors, what their actual market and network is like right now. Um, but expanding upon that, we have a database partner 
that is providing us uh, uh, research on other artists and other networks. So, you know, one database that we're paying for is Artnet, which is the largest auction house accumulated platform. But our partner, which has a patent pending, so we can't go into detail with what they're doing. Um, and I don't think they want me to even name them yet. But they're in San Francisco. You know, my one of my senior art advisors is there. Uh, uh, his, his gallery in San Fran has been there for over 40, almost 43 years. And he has a network of about 1,500 auction houses that he's been working with, you know, to build this platform and this database of, of constantly updating information. So we'll have direct access to that entire platform. I see. So how is this platform, how is your platform benefiting artists and investors and art so, so first question, so how are we benefiting artists? Uh, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems that when I started this in 2016, um, uh, I had my best friend in mind and I had just gone, visited my family in Europe and, and I was talking with my best friend who's one of our, Brigida is one of our artists and she was telling me uh, about the problem of fundraising. You know, she sells work, she buys work, and just financing art for an artist. Is, is one of the biggest catch-22s uh, 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 since the existence of art. And, and from the, we started interviewing artists, not just emerging or mid-career artists, but I've been talking to blue-chip artists who say, this is a problem. I can't always you know, count on ex-family that has supported my grandfather and his artwork and going back, you know, these legacies that are supporting because we don't always have access. So how do we fund it? How do we keep going? So for us, tokenize, taking this data, allowing for transparency of pricing, giving met, showing metrics and showing, hey, we have an algorithm, but here are all the variables and making it transparent so that collectors can see that and now feel empowered because they actually understand the price of a piece of art. They understand the value of the artist and they can compare it to other artists. To, and, and that's a big statement. You know, how do you compare two different artists, two different stories, two different lifestyles? Well, when you have enough subjective data, enough, you know, and whatever that enough amount is, but when you have a massive amount of subjective data and you start comparing it, it becomes objective. So we're creating a baseline for these artists and for these collectors so that we can raise money transparently for these artists. Uh, we have to start somewhere. You know, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to constantly grow and evolve. But we have to start somewhere so that the artists can, we can raise money for these artists. The artists can now have a community around them of patrons that are not just buying a piece to buy a piece and then forget about who this artist is, you know, three, four, five, ten years later, I bought that piece. You know, they have, the, the collector kind of loses connection to that artist for, in, for so many reasons, you know. Um, um, not all collectors have databases where they're managing what their collection is and, and what the price value is and what is the shift and what is the change, you know, so by raising money for artists, giving them the ability to have access to a community around them, that's transformative. Um, and then on, on the side of the collector, uh, from the literally hundreds of collectors we've been interviewing in the past year and a half um, in surveys that we've been sending out, targeted surveys that we've been paying for, uh, they're telling us, they're giving us the feedback is, if I could actually understand the value of the art in my house, that would just change everything for me. You know, we've met with collectors who we've, we, we work with um, a number of art appraisers. They're, everyone that I work with is a PhD art historian. We just have a small circle right now. And from what they're telling me, and we actually go and interview people in their homes, they don't know the value of their work. Uh, I tell them, what if your house burns down, God forbid? 
how do you know that your the insurance company isn't going to pay you out if you the last time you had that appraised was 12 years ago? You don't know. And the answer from the insurance company, we've we've been talking with AXA since 2016. We've talked with Lloyd's of London. We've talked with another large art insurance agency, and they said they get the last appraised value, the last appraise of that physical piece. So they're in trouble. So, um, and this has happened. This is a real world problem um, for people. So we're giving collectors the ability to actually understand the true value of their artwork for a number of reasons, for insurance reasons, in the event of theft or damage, in the event of divorce, which spouse actually owns that piece. One of, one of my team members, who's an art advisor for us, is going through that very problem right now of, of her husband's claiming ownership of art that she purchased 12 years ago. So, you know, there's a number of the variables that, that we have been looking at that benefit the collector to know just what the value of the artwork is. Because our system not only sells the artwork and sells the tokens, but we've created a system that tracks the value of the art as it moves in the secondary market. So if you're a collector and you buy one of 12 from secular artists, and if you know even 90%, 80% of what all the other works are moving in that market, like say a few years later, you see the artwork has gone up in 40% in value, you're a little more likely to go and buy more pieces or go and talk to that artist or promote that artist. You can actually now understand how they're, they're, they're trending, how they're moving, how, what their growth is, and keep that connection because now you have access to what they're doing. You have immediate access without having to call an art advisor or doing research or combing through their website if it's organized, you know, which many artists are not unless they have an assistant or someone or a gallery or institute. So we're giving people the power to actually understand what their art is doing, what their artists are doing, and artists access to that community of patronage and kind of try to bring it into the 21st century. You know, um, um, there's lots of database software out there for individual collectors, but from the young um, high net worth and ultra high net worth millennials we've been talking to, uh, that's not our only target market, but it's one of them. Um, they don't want to pay at all for software to manage it. We look, we come from, you know, you and I, we're millennials. We come from an age where we want information and we want it for free. You know, if you own a car and and you look up how much is my car worth if I'm going to resell it, you can find a list of, of websites that will tell you the market value. Right. Why don't we have that for art? Right. It's an asset class. Yeah. It's a very valuable asset class. And so we want to bring transparency in that way that empowers the artists, empowers the collectors, bridges the gap between the purchase and the lifetime of life cycle of the artist in their, that collection. Um, and then as far as the tokenization itself, uh, we see the benefit to the artists. They're getting, you know, potentially, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars so they don't have to worry about their bills and can finance work, hire assistants, you know, um, um, hire, you know, additional advisors if they need, whatever it is that they need. But um, the collectors themselves, when they purchase our token, uh, we're giving them the ability. We have five phases of, of kind of like Kickstarter. So when someone wants to, when we say we're going to issue a token for an artist, we say we're going to issue a minimum amount of, of these tokens, and we know how many people we have to get to buy. We know how much we have to raise. And so within that build phase, if we don't reach both of our goals of the number of users and the number of amount of money, the investors get all of their money back, just like Kickstarter. You know, you have to be able to protect and secure that growth phase. 
uh, we have to, we feel like we're already doing a lot for the artist. We need to protect the investor. They have to have that sense of security that I'm going to have liquidity if in the event we don't reach our goal. So once we do reach that goal, we, in a way, uh, uh, and I won't go into detail now, but we have a a kind of an incubation um, um, timeline of that using Keynesian economics, uh, we actually have a reserve ratio so that we can guarantee liquidity after the initial growth phase and issue of that token. So the investors, even if they want to get out now, they still can't. They are protected. So even if they had a first doubt or second doubt, you know, they got cold feet, it's okay. We can protect them. They're not trapped anyway. So now the investors that do decide to hold on to the token, I think this artist is going somewhere based on data um, and based on the fact they love them. You know, they can actually monitor that growth just like you would, you know, in your Robinhood app or any stock portfolio market. And we are the market maker. We've created a beautiful interface where you can sell your tokens to another individual on that market. And so, you know, it sounds simple, but the macroeconomics of it is is, is, is behemoth to tackle, to figure out how many people need to do this. You know, we hired an economic advisory firm called Prism. Um, um, they are a, a, just a group of brilliant, brilliant PhDs from uh, MIT Cryptography Lab, Harvard School of Economics. And um, in fact, I had a call with the, co- the vice president today, <laughs> just right before the panel um, to double check everything I was saying was right. But, um, you know, the, there's macroeconomics at play, there's microeconomics at play here. And it's not a simple task. You know, I feel like I keep asking my teammates and my developers and my engineers, why is no one doing this yet? And they say, because, you know, sadly, a lot of the companies that are out there trying to do tokenization, they're going the easy route. And that you can tokenize an individual piece of art, you can tokenize something, but what about the data? There's no speculation in that. You know, I don't think people were focused. That's the biggest part. You want to have a free market and you want volume and frequency. You want your stock to go like this um, up and down because uh, without that, you're going to scare off other new entry points, new people coming in, which means eventually your, your secondary market is going to go flat. Yeah. So if you're not really looking at what is the number of people needed, what is the amount of liquidity, how do you protect them, those hard questions, you know, it's unfair to the investor and it's unfair to the artist. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like an amazing platform and a great solution for artists, investors, art collectors. Um, And it really shows the importance of data and all. So, yes. Yeah. Transparency and data. <laughs> so is there anything you'd like to add to the interview before we? Um, you know, we uh, one of the other factors that we feel is going to help protect the value of our artists, which is a age old question that is being tackled by some really smart people right now about uh, authenticity and prevention of counterfeit. I mean, even um, Jackie on the panel from Blockchain Art Collective, I've known her for a while. She's very smart you know, solving the problem of authenticity through a sticker or NFC or an RFID tracking device, it's smart and it's a start. But we saw that and one of our COO just took a course at MIT. Uh, it was um, a blockchain uh, uh, application to enterprise. And um, um, his professor for the course actually made a comment to us about our, our particular idea uh, because Tracking something physical on the blockchain isn't as easy as putting a sticker. It isn't as easy as saying this particular thing has a hash. We've created what we call a mirror system. 
where we digitize that physical piece online. And it moves, I guess you could say, similar to CryptoKitties. We were inspired by their method, uh, what they're doing with digital. We've actually found a way to apply it to the physical pieces. And it's unique. Codex is not doing it. I don't want to you know, talk bad about anyone else, but there's no one else on the market that we know of that's doing it. So you're taking like a physical piece of art, like mm-hmm. a Rodan, for instance, mm-hmm. and you're making it digital we're making a digital copy of it that has a particular hash and as the artwork changes hands each time or say the artwork needs to be re-canvassed you know or the canvas needs uh, new framing or it changes frame anytime something happens to it or changes ownership uh that hash also changes we have to be updated every time the artwork moves or changes because it can affect the price I see. Okay. It can affect the price. And it and usually, you know, if it's damaged, we need to know. We need to be able to have access to that information to protect the collectors and anyone that's involved in investing in the artist in particular. I see. And all of the data is stored on the blockchain. On the blockchain. And we're using an NFC sticker that has an antenna where uh, we can do an audit. So if something's damaged, if something is missing, um, we know it. Okay. You know, um, and that particular hash on the sticker is readable by, you know, any smartphone really that has NFC uh, reading like iPhone, yeah. pretty much any good Samsung Pass S7 um, can read that data. That's awesome. That's Thank really you. really exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sarah Austin and this is the Bad Crypto Podcast. Thanks, Joel and Travis for passing it over to me. With me today is a really interesting female founder, Lindsay Holden, who is, this is her second startup she's created. Um, The name of her company is called Long Game, and she came up with this game called Crypto Spin that adds cryptocurrency prizes within the app, and they've actually given out prizes that have included cash fiat value of up to $1 million in crypto. Um, And the idea is to incentivize millennials to have some financial education and responsibility. So hi, Lindsay, I'm passing it over to you. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into the entrepreneurial world, starting your own crypto company. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, Basically, I've been fascinated in financial management, personal finance, and how that's absolutely difficult for most people, and especially for me. And I think, you know, part of that is just, um, it's an finances are really emotional. Like when you look at your bank account, how often do you not feel either ecstatic that you have money in your account or just not feeling that great about the fact that you spent too much on that flight or that uh, night out. Looking at that and seeing that most people in the United States, you know, over half of millennials don't have $500 in savings. Um, And so how can we take um, some of that emotion and make it into an enjoyable uh, experience to save and bank? Um, And we've done that through using games and crypto. Um, and so basically, Long Game is an FDIC-insured savings account. You download an app, you get a savings account, but it's not your regular savings account. It's beautiful and it's visual and it's personalized and you can win for saving. And our goal is to have a completely rewarded financial experience so that when you're coming into our app, you are 
behaving responsibly from a financial standpoint, but then you're getting rewards that you love. And one of those is games of chance where you can win up to a million dollars in our app. And the other one is winning crypto as well. Um, so it's a lot of fun and, and, you know, it's, it's been working really well for people. Oh, well, congratulations on the success and that it's working well. Um, but tell me a little bit about you personally, like, why are you drawn to create this app? Where did this come from? Yeah. So I was saying, you know, finances for me have been a little bit difficult. Um, and, and so I wanted something that worked. Um, and I'm a pretty risk tolerant person, meaning I love risk. And so I love crypto. Um, it's something that I'm totally fascinated in from a technological standpoint, but also from a speculator standpoint. Um, and also lottery. Um, and so I was thinking, how do we use this to make financial management better? Um, I saw a, um, a podcast uh, or a, a, a skit from John Oliver that was about the lottery and how extremely popular it is. Lottery is enormous. It's a $70 billion industry that's bigger than all the other entertainment industries combined. That means, you know, sports, music, books, all of them combined are less than lottery. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess I'm I'm, I'm unaware of that. Um, so I guess that puts that into perspective. And and this was what the John Oliver skit was about, was giving some comparison to lottery. Yeah, it was just about really that it's 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 a, it's a bit of a predatory uh, tax um, on people because what you're doing is you're really getting ex- you know you're getting excited about a very small chance that you'll win and a lot of, and people spend a lot of money on that so um, the average uh, the average spend is about six hundred dollars but for if you take out that long tail of people that just buy um, you know one ticket. Uh, a year or so you're looking at, you know, in the thousands, like $1,400 a year that people spend on, on lottery tickets. And they're obviously not making the return on that. So after seeing that, I was like, wow, this is enormous. So how do we use this? And, and maybe that money can be saved, right? If it's a savings account. So that's how Long Game was born. It was a prize link savings app. And as we started growing the app, we saw that people really loved engaging with our games, that we attracted a very millennial um, user demographic. And we started talking to our users and they were really interested in cryptocurrency. And so um, a, about a month ago, Long Game launched Crypto Rewards, which is um, a, uh, you can, when you level up in the Long Game app, you earn a little bit of crypto. And then you can also play our games where you can win crypto. Um, and then we give a little bit of educational content around the tokens that you're earning in our app. Got it. And you're, you're going to earn Ethereum, Bitcoin, and BAT. And that's the tokens that you have right now to earn. Um, but can you store fiat currency in the savings account? That's right. So it's just a normal savings account. Um, you put fiat currency in the savings account. And that's how you play our games. So you have to save to play long game. All right. Got it. Well, that's really interesting um, how you came up with the idea just from watching John Oliver. Thanks, John Oliver. And, uh, you know, it's also interesting because people are playing the lottery, but they and they know they know that the odds are not in their favor, yet they keep on playing. It's like an addiction, except for in this case, your addiction is to your fiat currency savings account. So um, are they do they pay fiat money then to play? Is that how it works? So Long Game is completely free. We make money from the AUM. So we partner with banks. They're storing the fiat currency and then they pay us a little bit of that. And so that's how we monetize. But um, you're right. I mean, the thing is with lottery, it's just, it's addict. It's an addiction, but it's such a human thing. Like you get to, you get the chance at changing your life. 
And what's so cool about that is like, we don't know what's going to happen. And this could be something totally fantastic. And this is a, a beautiful dynamic, really. And so now we get to use it for good. I like it. I like taking something that has a pretty negative outcome, you know, losing money um, and putting it to something positive like financial education about crypto assets, for example. Yeah. So anyone can download this app and Android or iOS and and bam, there you go. Um, Earn some Ethereum, BAD or Bitcoin. I love it. Um, You know, you you said that there was a cash prize that included a a reward of $1 million. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Uh, I, we have a weekly drawing. Uh, the game is called Omega Millions, and uh, you can win up to a million dollars on that game. Has anyone actually received a check for a million dollars? No. So no one's won it yet. Um, just like the lottery, the odds are actually much. The odds are much better than winning the jackpot at the lottery, but um, no one has won yet. And we've given away about a hundred thousand dollars in prizes so far on the platform. All right, good. Well, I guess anyone can uh, go and, and use Long Game and look into you more. Uh, Lindsay Holden, CEO and co-founder of Long Game. It's great to have a female founder here on the Bad Crypto Podcast. And everyone listening out there, um, you know, maybe you should consider these odds that are ever more in your favor like they say on The Hunger Games. (laughs) I'm Sarah Austin. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Austin, and I appreciate it. I'll talk to you there. Also on Blockchain Chat on Thursday, hashtag Blockchain Chat. Be sure to tune in and, uh, and tweet at me there. So yeah, Lindsay Holden, CEO of Long Game. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Sarah. Rachel Wolfson and I'm here at the Delta Summit. And today I'm interviewing the co-founder of MB8Coin. Welcome. Hi, Rachel. Thank you very much for inviting me here. This is Kir Viraneri, um, co-founder of MB8Coin. It's a pleasure to be here at this Delta Summit to represent one of the first, if not the very first, um, virtual coin that will be regulated in Malta. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. So tell us a little bit about MB8 Coin and what you guys are doing here in Malta. Okay, so basically everything started uh, when the company Multibuy, that, is, uh, uh, that was born uh, tw- uh, 24 years in Italy, um, well established in the market, um, has decided to make partnership with Blockchain Scotland. And this has happened one year ago. Um, the two companies have a lot of things in common, even we do a completely different job, because we found a way to cooperate together and make the best for the launch of our coin. In fact, uh, Multibuy um, is specialized in e-commerce, uh, shopping online and travels. We have over uh, 2,100 uh, businesses that are in the circuit of Multibuy. All over, uh, we have more than 220,000 customers active among 1 million that are distributed in Italy and in Europe. So uh, it's always been an Italian company uh, that has decided to go global in 2016. Okay, we, we, we are really established in different fields because we love businesses and uh, we like to do it at 360 degrees. Um, one year ago, we found uh, that was the time to make a step forward in the world of the economy. And we found ourselves uh, um, to, to make a great relation business with Blockchain Scotland to create our own virtual currency. And this is doing very well. 
We are now in the ICO phase, and um, yeah, the expectations are incredible. We, we we are just amazed by the amount of people who are coming towards us, interested in our business. So I'm really positive about our future. Wonderful. So this is a cryptocurrency for e-commerce. Is that what it is? This is we call it the the cryptocurrency in the world of travel. Although travel is a huge sector because we are about to launch our e-commerce, um, I can tell you it will happen in the next future uh, with over 15,000 products, uh, best brands involved. We are Italian, so we want to keep the, the image of our important business high. And uh, of course, we are specialized also with the world of travels. We, we, we work with the best tour operators, Franco Rosso, Alpitour, Costa Crociere, and uh, this is just a couple of names that I could tell you. So, yeah, we are excited because we are unique. So, I mean, I know that there are other cryptocurrencies out there for e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just said you're unique. And so you're unique in the sense that you're really catering towards these designer brands and goods or yeah. just go a little bit more into detail. Yes, now. yes. I, I just tell you a, a basic. Uh, usually when people decide to make a, a crypto value, what they do, they collect money from the public and uh, they make great promises that uh, in a lot of cases they cannot uh, keep. What we did is that this uh, virtual value has been raised and evolved by a company that is stable in the market, okay, that put the money so really um, it's uh, it's really a sustainable and stable business, um, and uh, and of course, what is unicity that once we go regulated, people who have our coin can use it in our e-commerce platform, okay, which will be um, full of uh, uh, very high quality brands, not only Italian, I tell you, French brands, international because we like to be international right now, and and also they can use the coin to go travel. And since our CEO is specialized in travel in the, for the last 20 years and more, so he can get the best deal with the tour operators at the best rates. So our coin is unique in this way because it's not only uh, a value that you can use for trading or staking. You can use the coin as a plus value to go on holidays and to, to shop in the e-commerce. I see. And also, sorry if I interrupt you, we have already over 2,000 businesses that once we are regulated, will accept our coin. So you could go in one of these businesses and shop with your cryptocurrency. That's what makes uh, really us uh, fabulous. I, I, I don't want to, to, to be, I'm just honest because it's true. I, I understood since the, since the beginning the high value. And I'm happy to be here with my great professional partners to announce this concept. Yeah, I mean, it sounds amazing. Basically, in my mind, it sounds like this is a cryptocurrency, this token, this coin. But you can also use it to shop on websites, correct? Yes, yes. once we are regulated. We are dealing with the best law firms here in Malta. Uh, our company, Multibuy, is established in Malta because we want to show the government, we want to announce the country, since this country is the first one in Europe for innovation. We want to be here, we want to give jobs to the people and also to, to show Multibuy being a, a, having a, a, an international connotation. And, yeah. and how long do you expect, uh, when will it become re- regulated? Okay, this I cannot expose myself. Okay. I would like to, just yesterday we got an important meeting with our lawyers, it's work in progress. So if the lawyer doesn't speak, imagine what I can tell you. Right. I'm very honest, so I don't want to tell you things uh, tomorrow that then I cannot keep. It will be pretty soon. We are looking forward to it and we are behind them all almost once, twice a week, we can say. 
Okay, so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, please wait and see. It, it will be amazing, really. And then I'm curious, how did you come up with this idea? I mean, how did you get involved with crypto? I mean, you know, I'm seeing you here at Delta Summit and you're this gorgeous Italian woman and you have this beautiful designer clothes. How did you get involved with cryptocurrency and blockchain? Well, you know, uh, while working with Multibuy that is already dealing with brands, uh, with shopping online, I like it. Yeah, maybe it's something innate that some people have. I, I thought, okay, this is nice. Italy is beautiful. And, um, and okay, I cannot complain about nothing, but uh, it's in my nature to be ambitious and to always want to, to look forward what are the business opportunities in the world. So basically, I, I started with my partner to, to open the doors of Multibuy towards uh, international countries. And um, we started with the advertising platform online that was working really good. And then we say, okay, this is beautiful, but what is now the business? What are now people doing? And we, we came across cryptocurrency. You know, you look at, you read about Bitcoin, Ethereum, it's all beautiful. And uh, when you have the chance, the luck or the the awareness to, to meet people like them, uh, blockchain, they did their own blockchain. These guys are fantastic. And you can find the way to deal together. Why don't we do our own business? Why don't we announce the opportunity of business? Why don't we open our doors internationally to what is money right now? And if I can tell you something, I could not expect this influence of people here. Uh, because uh, everybody... Uh, the people who are here are, are behind the computer a lot of times, so you don't get the chance to meet them often. And here you realize the importance that this business is creating. It's amazing. Right. Here at Delta Summit is what you're referring to. Correct? Yes. Yes, of course. At Delta Summit. Yeah. It's an amazing conference. So basically, yeah. cryptocurrency, and you believe this, obviously, is allowing, is allowing global growth and globally people can participate purchasing goods and being in this ecosystem, right? Yeah, of course. That, that is a good word, a great word. We are creating the best ecosystem um, about uh, traditional business and uh, the business of the future, the, the business of the present. And uh, blockchain with their technical aspects and multi-buy with its cre creative and successful ideas can be combined very well. Wonderful. And so you said right now you're doing, you're doing an ICO? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we are in the ICO phase, of course, and uh, we'll be over when we uh, will be regulated very right, soon. Right, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And uh, let's see, and, and what are your thoughts on Malta? I mean, you were saying, I guess it's very important, obviously, the regulations. Are, are you based anywhere else or are you just wanting to be based here in Malta? Uh, so we are based in Malta, of course, then the, the, the office, all the business has started in Roma. So since 24 years, we are establishing Rome. Okay, we have uh, the administrative office, let's say, and uh, the tour operator, they are doing always a great job. We have jumped here because uh, what I think about Malta is the first uh, innovative country who looks towards an international world outside Europe also. Because this is the business. I, I got the opportunity to meet uh, uh, the Hon um, Skembri. Uh, we had a meeting with him, and uh, I mean, this is he symbolizes really the, the 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 will of Malta to get innovative and to look towards the past, the the future. So, yeah, I think uh, this is the place to be right now. Yeah, I agree. So, what is unique about MB8 Coin? 
Okay, MBH coin is unique because it has an intrinsic value. I can explain you. If you consider like the, the virtual coins that are now in the market, like uh, Ripple, like Ethereum or Bitcoin, uh, if something happens with the economy and uh, they can increase their value, maybe decrease it totally, uh, people would lose their money, their investment. On the contrary, with us, when you have MBH coin, you can use it to purchase goods on our e-commerce platform or on our travel platform. Um, the, the value is one euro is equal to one euro credit. So people know exactly the amount of money that they have in their pocket. Okay, speaking about euro credit. So in the in our travel website, people will be will have the opportunity to use the MBH coin as way of purchase, uh, travels, and holidays up to hundred uh, percent. And in our e-commerce platform, people will have the opportunity to use uh, our MBH coin up to 70%. Okay. So for example, uh, if uh, a bottle of wine costs 100 euro, yeah, you can use uh, uh, 70 euro. Pre uh, if a bottle of wine costs 100 euro, you uh, will be able to use a 70 MBH coin and the rest you pay in cash. So really amazing opportunities that no other business is offering. And um, yeah. So that's it. That's amazing. So it's almost like a staple coin. Yes, in a way. Coin. Usually, think about this. Uh, usually, uh, businesses do ICOs, and then they start the business. And ICOs, that's why they are considered extremely uh, risky, and and uh, they have a lack of power because uh, you know any any bank will give you a support when you have an ICO. On the contrary, we have a stable business. We are in the market since years. And we are doing the ICO. Let's say it's just a way in the middle uh, for the regulation. It's just uh, our training time. And um, yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, I think it's wonderful because, yes, most, and this is why I don't cover ICOs, most ICOs are a bit sketchy because nothing has been built. They have a white paper sometimes, but usually there's no technology. You guys have the business built, and now you're offering a cryptocurrency on top of that business. Yes, guys, remember this site, mbhcoin.io. Come to visit us. It will be massive. It is, and uh, you will have a lot of uh, awareness about uh, the development that we are doing and we have done so far. Yes, so visit mbhcoin.io. I know I'm going to visit that because one of my favorite things to do is to shop. So I think this is wonderful. Thank you so much, Kirby. Thanks to you, Rachel, for interviewing me. Thanks, Rachel and Sarah, for delivering great content as resident crypto chicks here of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And also a reminder, if you guys have not yet subscribed to Rachel Wolfson's podcast, The Crypto Chick, what are you waiting for? Don't be sexist. Go go subscribe to Rachel's show and listen because she's got content that we ain't got. That's true. You know, she started um, with Forbes a while back. I mean, I think she's been with Forbes now for well over a year. And uh, we started doing the crypto chick stuff with um, with Sarah Austin early on in the year as well. And and we were like, we really like it. This is great. And she wanted to spin off and do her own podcast. And we said, hey, that is a magical idea. Let's get you rocking. And so she'd be rocking. 
Fantastic. Well, two great episodes coming up for you next. Number 223 is going to be our 2018 crypto year in review. We're going to take a look back because that's what you're supposed to do at the end of the year. You look back and then on New Year's Day, episode 224 is going to be the looking forward episode uh, packed with crypto predictions, many of them coming from former guests of the Bad Crypto Podcast. So you're not going to want to miss either one of those. And and Travis and I are both going to be on vacation. So we're actually recording those ahead of time. So if Bitcoin goes to 10,000 by New Year's Day, uh, or if it goes to zero, we won't be commenting on that because we can't see the future. This is, I just realized this is episode 222. And that is one third of the number of the devil. So we're <laughs> almost there. We're getting pretty close. This is Joel Com. Your mind, your mind thinks in really unusual ways, Mr. Travis, right? Well, I was excited. Episode 222. And then uh, here we are. There was a TV show when I was a kid called Room 222. I think it was uh, about a high school. It was a a primetime TV show. So now I've dated myself again and Mm -hmm. super old. So well, I, I'm just amazed that we have gotten this far in these episodes, man. We have done so much content in this last year and a half, watching crypto go up and crypto go down. And I'm just so grateful to all of our fans out there who still like to listen to us because, you know, there's a percentage of folks who, when crypto goes down, they like to put the cover over their heads and pretend that crypto doesn't exist. Yeah, but there's that one guy who's, who still likes to listen. That's true. Our oh, one guy, I think there's a couple girls and like maybe three dudes. I'd like to still listen to our show, so I'm really grateful for those five people. Well, we appreciate all of you. Please make sure that you do subscribe, follow, review. Super important. 2019 is going to be a fabu year. That's what they say when you're hip. It's going to be fabu, and it's going to be best if you stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.